University Traditions knows that most sports fans are looking for clothing that you can wear everywhere, but also gives a nod to your favorite team and homegrown roots. That passion and inspiration led them to create some of the best-looking hats that we at the 3Tech Pod have ever had the pleasure to wear. So we teamed up. Guys, I'm telling you, these hats are incredible. And, you know, we all here at the 3Tech, we are all fans of that school down in College Station. I have to say, the College Station collection, it looks fantastic. But even those other schools that they have, the Auburn collection, the Knoxville collection, Fayetteville, Nashville, you name it, their hats look fantastic. So whatever team you are looking to represent, they've got a hat for you. Listeners of this podcast can get a 15% discount off their entire order by using code 3TECH15 at checkout. That's T-H-R-E-E-T-E-C-H-1-5 at checkout, 3TECH15. Head on over to University Traditions' website or search for them on social media. Tell them that the 3TECH pod sent you and grab yourself some of the best-looking hats on the market. You'll love their styles and feel the tradition with each new hat you own. One man. Goodbye. Twenty-five, thirty, thirty-five, forty, forty-five, fifty, forty-five. There goes Davis. Oh my God! Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. They give it to Rogers. They give it back now to the thirty. They're down to the twenty. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. Four-man Alabama rush. Got him. No, they didn't. Oh my gracious! How about that? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to another edition of the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the Jimmys and the Joes and the X's and the O's. I'm Trey Reeves. Usually when you hear my voice first, Mitch Mason is not with us, but he is here with us today. I'm joined by Mitch and Garrett Turney all around the Metroplex this evening. Gentlemen, the NFL draft is in the books. Spring football is winding down. We're about to enter the dog days, but as we sit here on this Sunday evening, we can just kind of savor the last live football content, unless you like the XFL, USFL, um, the last real live football content for a few months. How are we feeling as we are just a slowly, quickly approaching the dog days of summer? Hey, take the XFL when you can, okay? Those Arlington Renegades are playing for a championship <laughs> as opposed to that other team that plays across the street in Arlington, the, those Dallas Cowboys or whatever they're called. I don't even remember because the <laughs> Renegades are so relevant and playing for a championship. So, you know, take it when you can. This is live football. These are live reps that we're talking about here, and it's on ESPN. So, you know, let's take what we can get. I didn't even know the Renegades made the playoffs, and didn't they, <laughs> didn't they play today? They played yesterday. yesterday. Oh, yes. They had a big I-45 showdown with the Houston, whatever, the Roughnecks. Roughnecks. Okay. Come on, Trey. Be a real fan. Listen, Houston has a team (laughs) in both leagues, and I I think the other one's the Gamblers or something like that. But, uh, yeah, Arlington made the playoffs at four and six. I think there was a seven and three team in the other division that got left out because of how the XFL The Battlehawks, right? Seattle. Uh, One of my friends is their social media director. Shout out Leah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I, their season looked like they kept winning, and then they were 
suddenly not in the playoffs. I think and, they uh, lost. Yeah. I, I, Arlington lost like five straight in the regular season, then clinched a spot in the championship by winning uh, <laughs> yesterday. But this is not the XFL uh, download. This is the three technique. We are uh, very happy for the former college players that are finding a way, making a living maybe in the XFL. But we do have a lot of college football, a lot of NFL draft content to talk about today, gentlemen. Without further ado, guys, post-spring portal Geddon is fully upon us after this week. And that's where we need to start today with kind of our news download. And of course, the biggest story in all of college football out of the transfer portal is what's going on in Boulder, Colorado. Garrett, I know you had an awesome video about this. Check out our YouTube channel if you want to see uh, Garrett's full video dedicated to this. But guys... Coach Prime all of a sudden is just absolutely bleeding players. We highlighted the spring game last weekend on the episode and talked about how cool it was, you know, that Colorado filled the stands. We talked about how awesome it was that Prime seems like he has it moving in the right direction. But all of a sudden, as soon as that spring game was over, it seemed like the floodgates just opened. I have, by my count, according to 247, we were up to 53 players entering the transfer portal going out of Colorado since the end of the regular season last year. And Deion Sanders seems fine with it. His uh, message to the media when asked about it has kind of been that, you know, these guys aren't part of the future plan and they're going to be fine. I think his most quoted moment was just saying, wait till you see who we got coming in. And I love that mentality. I love that he's staying positive about this, but it's hard to find the positives when 53 are leaving. That's a whole NFL roster that have left the program since November. What do you guys stand on that? I mean, I talked about it in my video a little bit. It was especially with just what happened from the spring game, 28 at the time that I recorded that video had left post spring game. Um, It kind of goes to show that maybe things aren't as good behind the scenes as we think that they are. You know, I think that, there's a lot of hot take people right now that are going to want to go out there and say, Oh, this is the the end of the Dion era or who cares? Because, you know, it's, it's, it's not all good players. None of them are contributors, but several of those players were key contributors to their team, including two of their leading receivers and their leading running back from last year. Now you might argue and say, those guys weren't good. They won one game and I'll give you that, right? That makes some sense. But at the same time, when you bring in all these new players, you need to establish a culture quickly and before the spring game, I would have said, yeah, Dion's doing a good job establishing his culture. It seems like people are excited. It seems like things are going to go the way that he wants them to go. But now post spring, those guys have had a whole spring practice, whole spring ball to go through and, and see what he's got going on in the locker room. And a bunch of these guys want out. That's a red flag for me. And I'm not going to say that the era is over. I mean, again, it's Colorado. It's, you know, if you win two games next year, you've doubled your win total year to year. So that's kind of a success already, but I just think that we need to look at this from more of a, a culture building perspective because the majority of what he offers to Colorado is hype. A lot of what he offers is the fact that you can come in here and you can play for Colorado and you can be a part of prime time and you can be a part of this whole thing. And if he starts to sour his image a little bit, if things go a little wonky with the way people perceive him and his program, that's kind of what he has to offer now. And if that flies out the window, who knows to see what happens to Colorado. Look, I mean, Colorado had, what, 23 scholarship guys on the roster after the spring game, something absurd like that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not um, I'm not going to say that Dion isn't going to be successful, but the, the folks that are saying 
look at what he's going to do next. Just watch, just wait, just be patient. That's not how this works. Uh, college football is not a patient man's game anymore. And so to uh, very brazenly eject every member that he possibly could of the previous team, not just the coaching staff, but the previous team. Um, of course, you have the you know the news coming out that players don't have access to their their practice film, their it's game. So ridiculous. Yeah. Years past, like that is a straight up shame on Dion. Um, I, I think he needs to wake up and, and smell reality a little bit that, hey, you're in Boulder, Colorado. You're not in Los Angeles. You're not in Miami. You don't get to uh, act like you're, you know, the head coach of a Super Bowl winning franchise where it's your way or the highway. You shouldn't get to yet. Um, now, if you start winning and you have just, you know, oodles of players and five stars knocking on your door, uh, that are forming a line out the wind or out the door to, to get in maybe, but still, I think you ought to be a decent human being in all of this. And I think Dion Dion's obviously always had an ego, but to see how quickly his ego is inflated here, um, after not doing anything in the college ranks, he's won some games at, at Jackson state, right? But he didn't win a title. Uh, he didn't do really anything of significance on the field there other than turning around uh, a smaller program, which credit to him, he created a lot of hype there and he did some good there. He changed a lot of the way that funding now works at that level. And that deserves a, a round of applause. But we're past that now, right? We're talking D1 football at Colorado. And, you know, to, to come in and institute your own team, I don't have an issue with that. But don't throw guys out and, and let the door hit them on the way out, right? Like if you are going to forcibly remove these legacy players in some instances, guys who, you know, probably knew that their days were numbered, but you're not easing that transition. You're not making it as easy as it is uh, for them to go find a new job elsewhere. To me, that rubs me the wrong way. So I, I'm not saying that Dion's going to fail there, but for me personally, I'm not rooting for him to succeed super early on i feel like he's gotta he's gotta show that this isn't just going to be kind of a a sausage factory right where players come in they get grounded to dust and hopefully it's a winning formula to me the best in the sport like nick Saban, kirby smart of course they push their guys to the limit but you don't hear about these guys treating their their athletes like they're less than human and to me dion's already knocking on that doorstep where it's like all right where's where's the line are you crossed it yet? And that that leaves me with a little bit of pause. He is flirting with the line, absolutely. And I think that in the coaching world, that will always catch up to you if you do cross that line. There, there's no one in the coaching profession that I think is able, immune from crossing that line and still being able to survive. But, you know, I, I go back to this. Every time we talk about Dion and he's in some controversy at Colorado, guys, we are talking about Colorado on April 30th, 2020. Right, we are. And if he was not there, we would 110% not be mentioning the names of the Colorado Buffaloes. They'd be an afterthought in our Pac-12 preview this summer. And then we probably wouldn't mention them again until the next summer, barring some miraculous upset. <laughs> so, look, he is putting them back on the map. There's going to be a lot of growing pains there, it seems like. Anybody that's, you know over the moon projecting a, a winning season or a bowl game or Lord forbid, even competing for the PAC 12 title this year. There are some people that were predicting that that's not happening this year. I, I think that's very clear to say there's going to be growing pains. There's going to be um, some transition as Dion finds his footing as a 
not just a FBS head coach, but a power five PAC 12 head coach uh, for one of the few programs that's won a national title in the last 40 years. So as, as Deion Sanders keeps getting his feet under him, I think he's going to set up some amazing inroads. I think he's going to get a lot of talent. They do still have the number one transfer portal ranking, according to 247. They do have a lot of talent coming in. And as we see the next wave of players enter that enter the portal as they kind of realize that playing time might not be possible, I do think Dion is going to do very well on the other end of this as well. So will they field a competitive team that's competing for a conference title in 2023? I don't think so. Will they look a lot better than they have the last few years? Absolutely. I, I have full faith in that going forward. But as we look around the rest of college football, kind of outside of Boulder, as it seems to be the tradition now within the transfer portal era, we get some unexpected big name transfers every single year around this time as spring balls winding up. And we had three quarterback transfers this week that I think uh, surprised a lot of people in the college football world. We had Casey Thompson, going from Nebraska to Auburn. We have Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame to Alabama, maybe the least surprising out of those three. And Peyton Thorne just today uh, announcing that he will transfer from Michigan State. And they are also losing their wide receiver one, Keon Coleman. So lots to unpack there. Um, I think, you know, if we want, where do we want to start, guys? I think Tyler Buckner to Alabama is the most interesting one to me. I agree. I, I think that's a great place to start. There are kind of two sides of this coin, and I'm – Obviously, curious to kick it back to you, Trey, and, and figure out where you want to take this. But on one side, um, you know, the, the commentary about, oh, well, Nick Saban is accruing the five, you know, this this loaded quarterback room, and he's got all these brand names. On the other side, the comments that came out from Nick Saban's press conference after Buckner committed, he basically said, yeah, we gave our guys every chance possible to win the job in spring ball. And then we went and took another one-time power five starter. My whole takeaway is, guys, Alabama's in trouble with yes. their quarterback spot. Yep. No, 100%. And we've talked about this. We've had a beat on this one. We weren't impressed with Milrow. We weren't yeah. necessarily confident in Ty Simpson, what he brought to the table. Uh, they, you're right. They're in trouble. I mean, who knows what they can really accomplish at this point. They've been able to kind of skate by on elite quarterback talent the last couple of years. And, and really solid defensive efforts as well. And, you know, I, I don't see a lot of those players on the roster this year. I, I don't think that they have that same level of talent. And let's put this in the bigger context of college football. You know, they, they have lost now, if you're talking on the national stage, they have not won the last two national champions. But who has is that team just down the road in Georgia, uh, who, you know, they've won two in a row in the same conference as you. And, you know, you look over, you didn't even win your division last year. LSU came and took it from you in a year where you were down. I don't know that they're necessarily better this year than they are last year. I think they're going to take a big step back. And, you know, with a lot of different teams kind of jockeying for position, I think it's going to take a lot more than Tyler Buckner, who, look, for all that he is, like, you, you know, we didn't see very much of him they didn't have the vote of confidence to not go after a guy like Sam Hartman at Notre Dame. And so that, that should tell you enough at least that they felt like they needed to bring in another quarterback. Now, if it's Sam Hartman, I know a lot of programs are going to bring him in anyways. I get that. I understand that when you're at that level, yeah, you're going to take that guy if he wants to come and play at your school, but 
the fact that the the vote of confidence wasn't there and that Tyler Buckner's following his offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese to Alabama now, that should give you a lot of signs that maybe he wasn't cut out for, you know, some of that higher level competition at the upper end. And if he's not cut out for it at Notre Dame, you got to hope the talent's there at Alabama. I don't see it. Yeah, and I think if you're Alabama, if you're an Alabama fan right now, you have to be hoping beyond all doubt that one of your two freshman guys is just ready to go when they get on campus this summer because yep. it's clear the solution is clearly not on campus. As of right now, they would not have taken Tyler Buckner if they thought the solution was on campus. And like you said, Gary Buckner is not exactly a guy that lit the world on fire. I know a lot of Notre Dame fans were excited to have him and excited for him to get the first team reps this year. He also is the guy that lost to Marshall, who uh, didn't exactly light the world on fire in the Sun Belt this year. So, um, yeah, I think we've been on this for the last few weeks, guys. We've kind of beaten this story to death, but it bears repeating that Alabama does not have the quarterback right now to compete for a national title. That, that That's just a flat-out fact. The rest of the talent would have to completely step up their game, and we'd have to see something you know, kind of like calling back to what Alabama was before they switched offenses, right? Where they had a lot of bus drivers at quarterback. I don't even know if they have a bus driver right now, though, because the the stats that we've seen in the spring games, the stats that we've seen in Milrose case in actual game action show that just not ready for the primetime, right? Not ready to run the gauntlet of the SEC. Well, I mean, to be completely fair, I think that Nick Saban is capable of getting his guy to be a bus driver. I think Tommy Reese is a good offensive coordinator who's going to be just fine. The problem is when you had those bus driver quarterbacks, you had guys like Derrick Henry and Trent Richardson and and Mark Ingram running the ball for you. You had those kind of guys that you could hand the ball off to and just kind of ground and pound. You had elite defenses for years and years. And that's the big problem is they don't have those guys right now. Derrick Henry is not on your roster right now. There's not a guy like Mark Ingram on your roster right now. They have some really good, talented running backs, but I think as we've seen at a lot of different schools in the SEC, really good, talented running backs don't necessarily help you win the SEC. They don't help you win championships, right? Didn't help Kentucky, right? They had a really talented running back this last year and and bad quarterback played. It held them back. You got loads of examples of this throughout the SEC year in and year out where you got really good running backs you know, South Carolina's had a bevy of them and they haven't competed for the SEC in years. And and so I, I just, and I'm not saying that they're going to, I'm not saying that Alabama's regressing to Kentucky and regressing to South Carolina, but they are in trouble. There are some issues and there are some things I think they need to solve. Well, and this is a different college football than it was in 2009 or even yep. 2012, 2013. Like you, I know Georgia is the great outlier, but Georgia has some of the best defenses we've ever seen in college football all time. Right. And no one's saying Stetson Bennett is lighting the world on fire or is by himself going to carry you to a championship. But Stetson Bennett was way more proven in the sec and way more proven than, you know, any of these guys that Alabama currently has that could be taking snaps this fall. So it's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, I did misspeak a moment ago. I did say Casey Thompson was already committed to Auburn. I don't think that's true. I think he's just visiting. Yeah. So visiting Auburn, Florida has also been a school that's been thrown out there for the Nebraska transfer. I think it's safe to say he'll end up in the SEC. I think there's a lot of teams that want him in the SEC and that are going to give him a shot. And I think rightfully so. I think 
Yeah. You, you look at Florida or even Auburn, um, you definitely take a guy like that, right? Yeah. Well, and, and the third guy, Peyton Thorne, leaving Michigan State, right? I think he's another guy that Auburn, Florida really should take a hard look at. They're, they're both turnover prone, um, which is uh, not going to calm the fan bases. But at the same time, when you look at the current quarterback rooms that they have, now out of Florida, the spring game supposedly went really well for Graham Mertz. And, and Gator fans are feeling like they're more reassured than when they were just listening to the echo chamber that is Twitter. Uh, what does that say about Florida's defense this year? That well, that's, that's, what <laughs> that's what I was getting ready to say. I was like, the flip side is Florida's defense might stink. So, uh, you know, to, to be determined there. But, yeah, I think they're – I think Thompson and Thorne, to me, are the most intriguing transfers because I don't know that we really fully understand what either of them are. Casey Thompson's bounced around. He's been injured a lot. He's shown flashes of greatness. Peyton Thorne has kind of had to rely on his running game schematically while he's been at Michigan State. I would love to see what happens if he can throw, because we know he has a good arm. I mean, you watch highlights of Jaden Reed when he was uh, in the NFL draft process. It's clear Thorne can throw the football down the field. It's just he wasn't really asked to do that a ton. So I'm kind of curious for both of these teams, like, like Trey, you said, Casey Thompson, it certainly seems like Auburn would be a natural fit. For Thorne, I don't know if Florida is the fit. I don't know if he goes somewhere else. But if he does, I would like to see him maybe in more of a an air raid offense where he's forced to throw the ball a little bit more frequently. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. And wherever both of these guys end up, you're getting a guy that's played a lot of college football, right? And I think that that experience is just incalculable in value to some of these programs that are so needy at quarterback. I think back to when Texas A&M took Trevor Knight, uh, kind of pre-transfer portal, but as a grad transfer and just the Good life year. that that injected, re-injected into the program after losing, you know, Kyle Allen and Kyler Murray in one off season. So both of those guys have played a lot of college football. They're going to be very valuable, but guys, I want to look on the other end really quickly before we move on what is going on at Michigan state? I think the alarm bells should be sounding loudly. If you're a fan of the team up in East Lansing, it's not good. It's not, it's not good. Um, That's clear. I think look, Michigan state and Texas A&M got so many comparisons, right? Cause you have a coach that's on a massive contract that the fan base after one season of success kind of sold their soul for, right? The difference is Jimbo has won at the highest level. He has a national championship. Mel Tucker left Colorado post-spring to go take that job uh, up in East Lansing. And And went five and seven in his one year at Colorado. Yeah, exactly. So on top of all of that for Mel, he's had, you know, just little things pop up, whether it be transfers in and out, whether it be, you know, comments from recruits, whether it be now, you know, last year you had the legal issue uh, in the game against Michigan. There have just been enough things around that program that kind of it's felt like prevented it from getting a full head of steam. You know, it seemed like after the Kenneth Walker breakout season, that, oh my gosh, the Spartan team is on the rise. And all of a sudden we're in Big Ten cont- uh, uh, title contention and looking at New Year's Six games. And right now that looks like it couldn't even be further from the truth. So the only way to dig yourself out of those holes is to recruit really well and put five-star talent on the field, at least when your coach is being paid nearly a hundred million dollars. 
And now that talent's walking out the door. Michigan State's schedule is not easy. It's not like they play in some, you know, it's it's not like they're playing in the Pac-12, or even if you have some talent leave or shift around, you can find eight, nine, ten wins. That's not possible in the Big Ten. So for me, Mel Tucker's locked into this massive deal. I don't know what you do. I, I think you obviously just have to weather the storm, right? I don't think they're going to buy him out. But stock down on Michigan State for me, and it is concerning. It feels like the program has no identity right now, which is a surefire way to have talent leave and new talent refuse to come. Uh, I think what Mel Tucker needs to do is call the NCAA offices and see if there's any way he can get Kenneth Walker back for a year because seems like that's about all that's gone right in Michigan State. You know, Mitch, when you were saying there's a com- uh, the comparison between you know Michigan State and A&M, I'm like, yeah, the difference is – the Aggies never charged the Longhorns in the tunnel and tried to fight them. Um, there's there's so many issues that seem to just be circulating around that program, and it seems like, you know, it, it seems like it's probably a great place to be when you're winning, and you know, when the when the vibes are right and when things are going well, it's probably a great place to be. But I think that there's some clear issues with adversity, and that you know, when they strike, you know, when they strike up with adversity, and they say, hey. You know, we, we haven't gotten the way that we wanted to go. We lost a couple games. There's a couple things that didn't quite go our way. It sure doesn't seem like things are going well. And, you know, I would argue that having your quarterback trans uh, transfer out is, is not necessarily uh, a good sign for that program either. Not necessarily a good sign that things are going very well behind the scenes there. So, I mean, look, yeah, they're, they're definitely in trouble. Um, you know, stock down may not quite capture – what's going on in East Lansing. Cause there's some, some serious problems, especially again, given the landscape of that big 10, I know that Ohio state's maybe a little bit down this year, losing Stroud, losing a lot of those pieces, but they're going to stay competitive. They're going to stay really, really good and talented. It just depends how fast the quarterback comes along. Michigan, by the way, one back to back, you know, conference titles there. And, uh, and, you know, you're looking at, you know, a Penn state team coming up. That's, you know, a lot of people's dark horse. I know we all think they have a lot of opportunities there. And so if you're Michigan State, you're looking at that saying things are getting a lot more competitive and a lot more elite. And there's a few more haves in the Big Ten than there used to be. And we're not one of the haves. We are a have not. Oh, and by the way, there's a couple of teams in the heart of Big Ten country, uh, USC and UCLA, <laughs> that may just be joining you here in the next couple of years to uh, to maybe have some more haves and you again looking like the poverty program, which we don't want for Michigan State. But I, I mean, you can't keep Peyton Thorne on your roster. What's going post on? Spring. Post spring. Yeah, post spring. That, that's that's the biggest alarm bell to me. Is it's post spring. It's not. You know, hey, I, I really was unhappy with the five and seven season, and I just want to look elsewhere to maybe advance my talents, or I felt like I could accomplish all I can at Michigan State. He was in it. He was going to be the starter and be a third year starter for Mel Tucker. And now that plan, like, what do you do? Do you, do you try to go get a Casey Thompson and recruit him away from the <laughs> South? Do you try to, like, you got to find someone in the portal probably because I don't know that they have the next guy on their roster. Guys, I think one of our May episodes needs to be one-year wonder coaches and maybe trying to see which Ooh, of these coaches that have good. had one good year. I'm thinking about Mel Tucker. I'm thinking about maybe Dave Aranda. At Baylor, I'm thinking about a couple other guys. You leave Dave alone. <laughs> Listen, he he talks with an amazing voice. He has an amazing, powerful, deep speaking voice, but he hasn't proven it outside of that one year. I think it'd be a fun show to kind of go back and forth. 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. On some of those guys. But we'll leave that for another episode. A couple other portal highlights before we move on to our NFL draft recap. Tyler Van Dyke rumors are swirling. I know it's been a will he, won't he enter the transfer portal that would rival all the 90s uh, TV sitcoms and <laughs> Bear Alexander. We haven't got to talk about this, but one of our breakout candidates for 2023 on the defensive side of the ball the next week. Yeah, literally the next week. Can't make this up. And I think if we're talking about a breakout candidate, he definitely will have fewer barriers to that at his new home. He is transferring from Georgia to USC. Big boost for the Trojan defense, guys. Look, yep. when I picked him as a breakout candidate, I didn't anticipate that he was transferring. I didn't have any behind-the-scenes info, but I feel great about it now. Getting a chance to swing over yeah. there and play for the the Portal Wonder Lincoln Riley, who, by the way, someone in our comment section of the video we did on Bear was very upset about uh, Tebow, but we're going to let that one slide for now. Um, and uh, T-B-O-W, I'll let you put the words together. It's a, it's a sooner term that they let you, uh, uh okay. Uh, yeah. They don't like Lincoln Riley is the, the, just uh, okay. got, that guy out not, west. Not, I thought oh, we were yeah. talking about him for a second. I was no, like, not, hey, no. not connecting those dots. That, that no, guy out west. The guy uh, out no, west. Got it. Got they, it. They're not a big fan of Lincoln Riley. He seems to do wonders in the portal and being able to snag a guy like Bear Alexander away, I think just goes to show that's what it is. I don't know that he's tampering. I don't know that he's cheating. I know a lot of people in Norman believe that, but I, I do think it goes to show that this is this is something he does extremely well. USC is a destination at this point, and it's going to be really fun to see them return to prominence. I know last year was really good for them. Let's see what happens if they can make a playoff and maybe bring USC back to the national stage. Well, hey, the good news for USC is Tajay Spears uh, on one ACL. Of he ain't walking through that door. He's not walking <laughs> through that door. So I, I think they should be fine this year. Um, I, yeah, it's a great fit for USC. Look, logistics aside, I think it's kind of an open secret that uh, USC had basically already recruited him before he officially hit the portal, which is a shame. And again, we have to find a way to, to shut this down. Um, but that aside... It is, it is what it is. The Back to the Tyler Van Dyke very quickly. That whole saga of will he, won't he? People forget that Miami, the football account, tweeted out a highlight package of him saying he's not going anywhere. Like the official school account weighed in and said, don't worry about it. He's a cane for life. That uh, screams confidence. First of all, I mean, amazing confidence from the social media admin. Tip yep. of the cap to the admin for putting that together. Second of all, now I'm kind of rooting for him to transfer even harder. So our, <laughs> our friends at Freezing Cold Takes and, of course, No Contacts College Football can just run with that. I think Liam would have a field day uh, with that tweet. Um, yeah, quarterback, it's going to be, unfortunately, I think a sitcom is probably a great way to describe the quarterback carousel every year. Guys can go wherever they want to thanks to twitter and dms because coaches can be talking to them they can have sources in their ear even when they're with one team saying hey the grass is greener over here 
That's always been the case. That's not new because of the portal. It's not new because of Twitter. It's just more public, right? Yeah. And so unfortunately, that's where I think the game is going to uh, keep evolving to or devolving to, depending on how you look at it, until there's some sort of line drawn in the sand by the NCAA. But of course, it's the NCAA. So we know that line won't ever be drawn and enforced. Absolutely. It's going to be a fascinating carousel to watch go round and round every single offseason. But guys, let's go on and move on to the players that are completing their college time. And Mitch is doing a little happy dance because this is bread and butter. We are coming to the end of the 2023 NFL draft season. Let's recap what happened over a very eventful Thursday through Saturday this past week. Garrett, I do have to gloat just a little bit. I did win our prop bet competition four to three. That's fair. Margins, but we we pulled it out and got it, uh, got the victory there. Mitch, I also want to give a hats off to you, my friend, because your last mock draft that you put out right before 25 out of 31 first round picks, correct? Not necessarily in the right spot, but just the player. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just, just <laughs> you're looking at me like you're, oh, you're giving me a lot of credit there. But <laughs> I don't really care about the, that. That can change. We saw so many trades. Right. But I want to give you credit for getting 25 of the 31 players correct. And your only misses were Levis, who everyone and their mother had going top 10. So I don't blame you there. You took a gamble on Hinton Hooker. Joey Porter Jr. was your quarterback one and definitely should have gone in the first round. Yep. Michael Mayer should have been a first rounder, went in the second. Drew Sanders, a little bit of a gamble by you as well, but I liked yep. the tenacity there to give him to Buffalo. And Dewan Jones, who just took a free fall he um, did. out of you had him the last pick of the first round. He ended up going in the fourth round. So <laughs> a just, little bit of a miss there. They, well, but they the NFL teams obviously had something on him. Some some character concerns on Dewan yeah. from from what I was hearing. So, you know, but that's you know, kids, and, and not to cut you off, kids don't realize how valuable their reputation is and how important those post-combine interviews are and those 30-day visits. And, you know, time and time again over the draft weekend, you see guys in a free fall, and it's due to one of two things. It's either injury or it's just teams straight up did not like the guy. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately with Dewan, it sounded like he did everything but ace the the interviews and it cost him a lot of money yeah and we we have no insight into that and the other thing i'll say about that too is even if he's not interviewing with every team right obviously not every team can use a 30 visit on yeah. dewan jones but these guys talk and they are going to talk behind the scenes yeah. if a team used a 30 on it they're going to communicate that information with every other nfl front office so yeah, I mean, overall, I think you you did great with that final mock draft. We had a lot of drama in round one. It was just fascinating to watch. Um, I was not able to be in front of the TV Thursday night, and I was really uh, not happy about that. I was having one. a great time at a bachelor party, but um, I was kind of regretting not being able to see the NFL draft. But guys, we did have a lot of just fun twists and turns. It was one of the most fun first rounds, it seemed like in a really, really long time. So we can get into the winners and losers, I think, here in just a second. Before I do that, though, I want to ask you guys, what do you think happened with Will Levis? Why was he projected to go so high and then fall out of the first round? Because I, I kind of have a theory on that. I think he ended up going exactly where he should have gone, top of the second round. I think all along, that's what he should have been graded. But the media just kind of hyped him up into this top 10, maybe even number one overall pick. Uh, 
And really, I, I just really feel for the guy because he seems like a likable guy. He seems like a nice kid. And ESPN just showed him, what do we say? The total number was 37 30. times. 37 times ESPN shows him in the green room. Shameful. The first round. Just totally exploited by yeah. ESPN. And they created that drama by feeding into the hype machine that was having him maybe even go first overall. I think it's a couple of things. I think one, it's teams latching on to a player to use as a smoke screen, right? So um, the the Colts who picked fourth overall, they take Anthony Richardson. They talked a lot about Will Levis, right? They, uh, in, in the uh, post-combine process, loved him, talked up his arm. Um, you, you had other teams like the Titans, the Raiders, consistently feeding guys like da- uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who is one of the most plugged-in sources uh, around the league, NFL.com always has a very accurate mock draft because he knows truly the pieces going on behind the scenes. So for instance, Jeremiah, the night before the draft, releases a mock that has Houston at two, taking CJ Stroud, and then trading up to three to get Will Anderson. Lo and behold, that's exactly what they do. You can't just make that up, right? You can't just scheme up, hey, what if the Texans decide to trade back up to number three without that knowledge? So I think it's, I think it's teams using him as a smokescreen, using agents as a smokescreen. And then it's a combination of that with Trey. Like you said, he probably should have just gone in the second round, right? Now, I had a third round grade on him. That was really because I don't trust his ability to win. His film is a late first, early second round grade. I knocked him then for not ever putting it all together and winning either at Penn State or at Kentucky. He's not a guy that I want to invest a high round premium pick in and trust as my franchise quarterback. So all of that, I think, just combined to make one just thundercloud of terrible draft press that then, like you said, ESPN just kept going back to the well. And it, it, I felt so bad for him. I mean, whether yeah. you were rooting for him to go in the first round or not, like how can you not pity this kid, right? They spent a lot of time talking to him on the red carpet. He was so excited to figure out where he's going. He's talking about his work ethic. He's talking about how he's ready to go and work with a playbook tomorrow and figure out where I'm going to be living the next week. They milked all of that for content and then continued to do it for hours, for four more hours, when as it became apparent, he's not going in the first round. It's not going to happen, right? And so I, I really did feel a ton of sympathy for Will Levis. He didn't deserve that at all. Yeah, I really felt bad for him. I do think it was correct to not take him in the first round. We've talked about that pretty extensively on the podcast up to this point. We just didn't believe in Will Levis. I also think a factor here that kind of looking at it in retrospect, it makes a little bit more sense. I think a lot of teams were looking at next year's quarterback class as an opportunity to really make their move on their quarterback. And so there were a lot of teams that looked like they needed a quarterback this year, but they saw certain playmakers that they were just convinced, hey, that's my guy. That's a guy I want to go after. I mean, the Lions taking Jameer Gibbs at 12 was a little bit of a shock to me. Um, But apparently they thought that kid was just that talented. Lions, maybe a team that could have used a quarterback, could have drafted a quarterback, could have maybe made that move, but they had a guy they liked better instead. And you look up and down the board, I mean, there's plenty of teams that, you know, hey, they were said that they need a quarterback. They said that they might have needed to address that. But I think they were looking at next year and just saying, hey, look, there's some there's some really talented guys that I don't want to pass on. And I think, unfortunately, he just kind of ran into that as a as almost a buzzsaw, just saying like, hey, sorry, kid, you know, 
you're good. We, we might've taken you under different circumstances, but we like this guy a little bit better. So uh, again, I feel bad for him. I, I think what ESPN did was unfair, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And it does come with the territory of being a high profile draft yep. prospect. So Let's move into the winners and losers, guys. I think kind of the three consensus winners I've seen thrown out there in draft Twitter, draft you know, universe, are the Eagles, Texans, and Seahawks. So I want to start with Philly. For us, a division rival here in Dallas, right? And I know time after time, pick after pick, we were just kicking ourselves because it seems like the Philly, even not just this year, but the last two or three drafts, have just done a fantastic job of adding talent. They're becoming Georgia North, um, adding three more yep. defenders from Georgia's national championship teams. Jalen Carter with the ninth overall pick, Nolan Smith with the 31st overall pick. And then I think one of the absolute steals of the drafts in Keely Ringo at the top of the fourth. Guys, Philly is coming for the NFL. They're here to stay after going to the Super Bowl this year and locking up their quarterback. And they're bringing all the elite defensive talent, especially from the SEC, with them. Here's here's what Philly does better than anyone else. Howie Roseman, and I wrote this over on the Transfer Portal CFB website in my five big things after the first round. Howie Roseman plays chess. Everyone else plays checkers when it comes to moving up and down the draft board. Howie's not afraid to get involved. When he sees an opportunity, he's not afraid to go up. But he's it, it's not... It's not his habit, right? He's not a trade-up only guy. He will also trade back if that scenario plays itself out. And we saw kind of both of both ends of that spectrum uh, where Philly is able to take Jalen Carter, number one talent available on many draft boards at number nine, the defensive tackle from Georgia. Now, character concerns are definitely there. Legal concerns are definitely there. Um, but... Philly no doubt did their homework on him and has a very veteran defensive line. They feel like they're going to put him in an ecosystem that will nurture him, that will help him mature quicker than maybe some other franchises might. Then they go and get a twitchy, fast, bendy edge in Nolan Smith, his teammate, also from Georgia. And just like that, they've added this wave of youth, of power, and of bend to a pass rush into a run-stopping unit that was leaky when it came to stopping the run they led the nfl in sacks last year uh, so now you've shored up their number one concern what essentially lost them the super bowl against kansas city and oh by the way you were able to address offensive tackle in tyler steen you get a tackle of the future you get more secondary help in sydney brown and keely ringo i think keely ringo probably slides back to his safety i think he's way too susceptible to the double move to the hesitation if he's a press man corner he was really bad at that in georgia um, and then, you know, you take a shot on, on a guy like Tanner McKee, who you guys remember Tanner McKee had some first round mocks when yes, this he did. thing started, yes, he did. which none of us understood, but he gets he went, selected. Where, where'd he go? Fifth, fifth round? round? Uh, sixth round. Sixth round. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Howie Roseman just tip of the cap. They address all their needs, except for they didn't get a running back in the draft, but they trade, uh, for Deandre Swift from Detroit for a fourth and a seventh. The Eagles are going to win a Super Bowl in the next two to three years. I'm I'm willing to stake my my sports reputation on that. Yeah, and because of that, I'd like to formally protest that they're allowed to do that and try to look up some kind of rule that doesn't let them do it because 
I don't like the Eagles, so that makes it hard for me. Uh, it, it's not a bad strategy to just draft Georgia defenders right yeah. now. I mean, look, if, if you're a team in the NFL and you want good defenders, I know that everyone has their grades on guys, but they've kind of been able to reassemble like the best pieces of that Georgia defense from a couple yeah. years ago that averaged like seven points per game or something like that. They, they've been able to reassemble, like I think, five of those guys now. Yeah. They, they got a bunch of those guys together, so – I mean, good for them. I personally hate it, but good for them for being able to get put in that spot. Other winners on the night. I know the Texans finessed their way to two of the top three consensus players in the draft and CJ Stroud and Will Anderson. They gave up a lot to do it, but I think the consensus out there is that it was worth the draft capital they gave up to move back up to three. I know it set Twitter on fire when the Texans took CJ Stroud and all of a sudden they're taking uh, Will Anderson third as well. And the Seattle Seahawks, I think, just did a heck of a job with this draft. Not always been able to say that about Seattle in the past decade or so, but getting Devon Witherspoon and Jackson Smith and Jigba in the first round, getting guys like Zach Charbonnet, Cameron Young in the fourth, I thought was a fantastic pick for them. Up and down the board, I thought both of those two teams did a great job. Yeah, Houston, actually, funny story on them. I was out of the ballpark during the draft. So I I didn't get to watch most of it live, but I was kind of following on my phone and there was an audible like gasp from the other people in the crowd that were watching this and trying (laughs) to follow this like, Whoa, Houston just traded up to three. Whoa. And so, you know, it's obviously a bit of a splash move, kind of something I think most of us didn't necessarily expect, but in my opinion, they got an excellent quarterback and maybe the best player on the board. Will Anderson jr. Very, very good player. So um, yeah, I, I don't think, you could almost say who cares about the rest of their draft. You get those two players, you're instantly going to be a better team next year, trying to compete, trying to get up off the mat a little bit, watching some of the other teams in your division have, you know, moderate success, but maybe, you know, Tennessee's windows closing a little bit. So good for them for, for investing in some younger players and hopefully trying to be competitive over the next, you know, five or so years. Seattle was another team that let the board follow them, right? They, they go and get their guy in Devin Witherspoon who, Boy, I tell you what, I feel a little foolish because when I first started this process, Devin Witherspoon was my cornerback number one. The more I read, the more I researched and kind of tried to guess maybe more where guys would go rather than just sticking to my guy. I moved off Witherspoon as my cornerback one, ended up going to Christian Gonzalez, who goes in the first round too. He goes to the Patriots at 14, which what a steal for New England. Great pick for them, yeah. Joey Porter Jr., another personal favorite of mine, slides out of the first round entirely, right, to the first pick of the second round. Um, But Witherspoon's a fun guy. He's physical. He's nasty. He knows how to take you off your feet, make a tackle in space. He's got good ball skills as well. He's going to get flagged a little bit early on. I think he plays a little too aggressively with his hands. But when you talk about Seattle trying to get back to what made them great, an elite defense that could shut down whatever you tried to do in the passing game, Devin Witherspoon is a guy that can help you do that. They also go and find Jackson Smith and Jigba at the end of the first round, the first wide receiver off the board and what ended up being a run of four receivers. And then the the picks that they make throughout the rest of that draft, Derek Hall in the second, edge rusher, Alabama. Zach Charbonnet went a little bit early for my take, uh, running back out of UCLA, but they get Anthony Bradford guard out of LSU in the fourth round as well. All of those guys, maybe aside from Charbonnet, have a real chance to start from day one and be impact players. Like Anthony Bradford is a ready-made guard in the fourth round that we were hoping 
would fall all the way to Dallas. And I was hoping they would actually move up to go get them with the hole that they have at left guard. So, yeah, I, I just thought Seattle did such a tremendous job. They get depth pieces in the fourth through seventh round. Um, I really loved what they did uh, in this draft. And they needed to, right? They needed to put a lot of pieces around Geno Smith and rebuild that defense, and I think they did that. Yeah, I, I know the Dynasty community, community, the Dynasty fantasy community is just kicking themselves that Zach Charbonnet is going to Seattle to be paired with Kenneth Walker. But that is a... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a fantastic backfield. I think that's going to cause oh, yeah. a lot of problems. And Geno Smith having three legit wide receivers to throw to is going to be fantastic for the guys up in the Pacific Northwest. Real quickly, going through some of the consensus losers, our Dallas Cowboys, I think a lot of people are just kind of scratching their heads. Not necessarily with the first round pick. Um, I think, you know, Mozzie Smith was certainly a solid talent. I think that that frees up. Micah Parsons a lot to do what he needs to do on the back end of that pass rush. Uh, the Detroit Lions trading back to what was it, eleventh overall, and taking Jameer Gibbs as the second 12th. running back off the board. Yeah, twelfth overall shocked a lot of people. Another shocking moment in that first round, and left a lot of people scratching their heads when there were certainly other players on the board they could have taken. And Gibbs was kind of a consensus second round guy. And the Washington Commanders, I think, just sitting pat and not taking a flyer on Hinton Hooker when they had not one, but two chances to do so yep. in the first and second rounds, I think probably has their fans pretty frustrated as well. I'll let you guys take that wherever you want to go. Yeah. I, I, I think for me, I think the losers of this draft in, in a year where it seemed like it was very cheap to move up outside of the top 10 picks, right? You mentioned Houston paid a King's ransom a first and a third next year as well, um, in addition to some draft capital from this year. But by and large, the rest of the the rest of the draft, it was very it seemed very cheap to move up. It was taking a fourth round pick, a fifth round pick, a sixth round pick to move up late in the first, early in the second round. And for me, teams that were a little too cautious, like Dallas, for my tastes, that sat back and watched their their board just disintegrate at the top of a round when like Dallas needed a starting guard, something terrible. Mm -hmm. Uh, And instead they wait until the fourth round with a compensatory pick to take a kid in Asim Richards. uh, I believe that's his last name um, from UNC Mm -hmm. played tackle, right? Like not a natural guard. He's got good balance, but overall he's got a lot to clean up. For me, the Cowboys are a couple of pieces away from contending for an NFC championship. You hit a home run with Tyler Smith, not a popular pick last year. I was one of the first to say I don't agree with that pick, and Tyler Smith proved me wrong. I don't think there's really any way I can be proven wrong that, hey, your offensive line objectively did not get better by you waiting four, basically five rounds to go get someone to plug and play along that offensive line. It just it concerns me when the price, the price of admission early in some of those rounds, especially once you got to the third round was not something that you're going to find an NFL starter later on in that draft with. Yeah. I think the big one is just like you were talking about Trey with Washington. And I would even put teams like Tampa Bay in this list of people who didn't go for Hendon. Yeah. They could have, uh, we talked about that. I understand he's older. I understand this issues, but we're going to pretend once again, like if he doesn't get hurt last season, he's not an obvious first rounder just off of the skill level and the numbers and the prestige you would have had off of this season 
I, I just, I don't understand how, and I'm not saying he should have been a first rounder this year. Obviously the injury factors in, but you had teams that had a chance at him and need a quarterback and they don't take that chance. And, and just some of the choices instead were a little bit of head scratchers. And so I'm, I'm, I think if you're going to list losers, you have to look at teams who just don't address those kinds of things, specifically at the quarterback spot when you need a quarterback, when you've got pieces on your roster that can help you compete, can help you try to win your division and, and make some noise in the playoffs. And you're just not willing to go get your quarterback. You're not willing to go get a guy who can, you know, possibly help you. I mean, is Tampa Bay saying that Kyle Trask is the answer? Because I don't I don't think that Kyle Trask is the answer. I hope not. I'm not going to lie. I don't think Kyle Trask is the answer. Um, yeah, and they, they're probably a team – they're, they're sorry to cut you off, Gary, but they're probably going to be a team that's right in the middle of the Caleb Williams right. sweepstakes, if I had to guess this year. They have a lot of talent, but man. almost have to be, but you're letting that talent age one more year, contracts go one more year. If yep. those players don't play well, then you have to ask yourself, is it just a quarterback? If they play well, you got to extend them and pay them more. And so it's just it's an interesting decision for me to want to wanna kick this one another year down the road for a lot of these teams, maybe not all of them. I get, you know, certain teams that just, they like their guy. They want to go after their guy, but there's a lot of teams that I'd look at this and say, you're, you're going to, you're going to stake your hopes into one or two guys next year, not knowing how next year is going to go. I'm, I'm a little nervous about that. If you ask me. And it's kind of ironic. We did include the lions with our losers of the draft. They were the ones that took Hendon hooker. Sure. And I think, you know, if he's, I'm, I'm going to hitch my wagon to Hendon personally guys i Me too. if he gets the chance to perform i don't know that he will because jared goff is a very established guy in detroit and they seem to love jared goff up there and he's performed pretty well up there since he's gotten up to detroit but if hendon hooker gets a chance he's not gonna look back in my opinion now will he get that chance that remains to be seen but yeah. um definitely one of my favorite players to see you know, kind of later round guys, not the thirds late, but just later, not first round guys to see how that career develops guys. Even later, let's close it out with this. Who is your favorite day three pick that either you loved watching them in college and are just really excited to see what they can do in the NFL, or you think they landed in a great spot to contribute early. I have a couple, but I'll let you guys maybe fire that off first. If you have one. Yeah, Garrett, I've, I've got options. So I'll let you go first and see who you pick. Look, I'm. I know that this might be controversial, but my favorite day three pick was Stetson Bennett. I think that Stetson Bennett is a good quarterback. I think that it is not an unreasonable take to say that if you win back-to-back national championships, you might be okay at the quarterback position. <laughs> at the very, and I've talked about this in a couple different episodes that we've done. At the very least, he's bringing in a presence to your locker room that knows what it takes to win at the highest level. At, at, in, in college. That's something that most of the players in your locker room have not experienced. That's something that most of the guys in your locker room aren't going to get the chance to experience. And so that's something that I think is a little invaluable, especially in a backup role, being able to have a guy who's going to show up, he's going to take the reps, he's going to do what he needs to do. This kid starts as a walk-on, obviously, and then you know works his way up, wins two for Georgia. I love the pick. I know that it doesn't really go with a lot of the conventional, you know, where he's supposed to be graded and, oh, he's a little smaller and, oh, you know, he's not quite – I don't care about any of that stuff. I want to see the intangibles here. I really like Stetson Bennett as, as a player on the field and what he can provide you off the field. 
And so I think it's a great pickup. I think he actually works a little bit in L.A. I, I think that you could compare him to some of those situations out, out there and say, you know, hey, you know, I, I think he could succeed in L.A. I think he's got pieces around him that if you were to get a chance, if there were an injury, obviously not hoping for that, but if there were some kind of an injury, I think he could do pretty all right. Also just really, really cool that he's reunited with former Georgia teammate Matthew Stafford, right? Because they were both <laughs> definitely on the same roster at the same time. That's that makes sense to me. That checks out. Factually correct. Um, <laughs> yeah, I could have gone a couple of different ways. I mean, who doesn't love the way that Deuce Vaughn was picked in the sixth round by the Cowboys? His dad, awesome. who's, a, who's a Dallas scout, getting to give him the call and say, hey, how do you think about – what do you think about coming to, into work with me next week? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think Deuce is, you know, we'll see, we'll see what his NFL future is like. Cowboys need a running back. Um, I wouldn't have said that they needed that running back, but I'm really hopeful that Deuce can, uh, have a bright future. And I think there is a role for him in the NFL. Um, I think I'm going to go with JL Skinner who went to uh, Trey, your other team, Denver Broncos, yep. uh, safety out of Boise state. JL is a big pick. guy, right? Six, three, big kid. Very athletic. I had an early uh, round three, or, or I'm sorry, a day three grade on him. So I thought he was going to go in the fourth round, kind of in that list of my top 10 safeties. He slips all the way to the sixth round. And I think Denver really got some nice bang for their buck there. I think he's, he's certainly got a lot to learn as far as pass coverage goes, but he's a physical guy. I think he's going to help in their run defense. Um, and uh, yeah, just plays with a lot of passion and energy. So to see him go you know, two rounds later than what I would have, originally thought I thought was a big win for uh for the Denver Broncos I'll close this out here there were so many day three running backs that I think could contribute to their teams now obviously that's just you know something we see every single year there's a lot of day three running backs and we talk ourselves into them being contributors but legitimately this year I think there are a lot of guys that have an opportunity and I think my favorite of the bunch was the Bears picking Roshan Johnson in the fourth round because Guys, he is the he is a ready-made NFL starter that just got overshadowed by Bijan Robinson. And the Bears, you know, they lose David Montgomery in this offseason to the Lions. They have Khalil Herbert and then a bunch of dudes in their backfield right now. Roshan's gonna get a lot of carries, in my opinion. And they picked him up there at the beginning of the day three to get a lot of playing time. And he's a three-down back. Like he legitimately has the talent to be a three-down back if he was playing in another at another school i think he would have been a day two pick so yeah roshan johnson pick him up in your dynasty fantasy leagues guys he is going to be a great contributor yeah Uh, i'm sorry i do want to say uh one one last shout out jose ramirez edge rusher out of eastern michigan sixth round of the bears i i missed that selection on draft day i wasn't in front of the tv all day uh led the ncaa in sacks last year Um, small school guy, right? Obviously not playing the, the power five competition, but Jose, uh, I, I've forgotten which of you, I did the, uh, the, the awards show with, Oh, Garrett, it was me and you. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we did the college football award show and Jose Ramirez was a guy that we nominated for a lot of awards just yeah. because of the production that he had up there in the factory at Eastern Michigan. Um, you know, I don't know what his NFL future is like now, playing at that next level with the bears, but to throw a six round pick on the guy that led the the nation in sacks, I think that's really good value. Yeah. 
Yeah, the Bears honestly killed their day three picks. They got Roshan, Tyler Scott out of Cincinnati, Noah Sewell out of Oregon. Just Noah Sewell's a great pickup too. Great, great job on day three from the Chicago Bears. But guys, that'll tie a bow on this episode. Make sure that you are subscribed on all the channels, following us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribed on YouTube where all of our video content is being posted every week. And guys, make sure that you're following along on our personal socials as well. Follow our friends over at the Transfer Portal College Football. And we'll see you guys next week as we continue to move into the offseason and following all the storylines. See you next time, guys.